Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. Welcome back. I'm joined today by a very dear friend. Alex Sharfin is on the show today to share with you some of his brilliance, his wisdom, and probably we'll have some laughs along the way as well. Alex, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Mindy, I've been excited about this since we got it on the calendar. Me too. Me too. So here's where I want to begin. You and I have something in common. Actually, you and your wife, Katie, and I have something in common in that in our past, we all have filed bankruptcy. And that's a crappy situation to go through. You guys know that. I know that. And what I would love is just to give our listener kind of an overview of your wealth evolution, where you started from, how the bankruptcy happened, and where you're at now kicking ass. So in just a few minutes, kind of the the broad brushstrokes of your development Wow, that's a super intense question. Okay, cool. That's, that's how we're starting it out, Alex. Yeah, we're not screwing around here. <laughs> we're, not, we're not messing about. It's like deep end of the pool right away. Yes. So um, if you look at, like when you say my wealth evolution, you know, as a, as a child, I grew up in a family that did not have a lot of money. We, we lived a middle-class lifestyle with probably lower than middle-class income. So, you know, I grew up in a family that was all about like garage sales and getting things secondhand. I don't think I had new clothes until I was 13. Actually, as a child, I had this misconception that that's how the world worked. Like you just went to other people's houses and got their clothes and then, you know, clothes passed around and oh, wow. I ever think about like, what was the origin? How did clothes start out? So like it, that, that's how different my, my childhood was as far as how we spent money and how we did what we needed to do. And so very young, I was kind of probably marginally obsessed with making money. So as a kid, um, before I was 10 years old, I was already like uh, delivering papers and doing some other stuff and like picking weeds around the neighborhood to make money here and there. And then in junior high school, I sold stuff to the other kids. So I started with candy and then I got busted for that. Um, and they made it so you couldn't sell food at school. And then I started selling earrings and bracelets. This was the eighties and like Madonna had made these rubber bracelets really popular and neon earrings. So I bought a bunch of those and I was selling them at school. That's and hilarious I- to me. You were like an early, uh, jewelry <laughs> person. That's so great. Whatever I could make margin on. Like I figured <laughs> out if you can buy it here and sell it here, life is good. And so it was like, how can I do that over and over again? As a, as a very young kid starting about eight or nine, I worked with my dad in a swap meet out of necessity. That was not a super fun time in my childhood, but, I, but I, I'm grateful for the part that I learned a lot about business. I learned a lot about business and money and margin and like how to sell stuff and, and you know, a lot of what I would use later in life as a kid. And then I had a few other businesses. So I had a window washing company, a financial company in high school. I really got into my first, like what I would call a real company where we were affecting major outcomes. When I was 21, I started a consultancy and I ran that company um, until my early thirties when I met Katie and I sold out of that organization, not in a huge exit. I had an exit, you know, that we all talk about having exits and I hadn't created that company for an exit. None of the systems were in place that would facilitate and support an exit. I really, I was in my twenties. I didn't have a lot of understanding of what I was doing. I did what a lot of entrepreneurs do. I built this entire organization directly around me. And so if I didn't show up every day, things didn't happen. And so when it came time to transition out of that company, I could have spent a couple of years setting it up to sell it to somebody else. And I was just done. I wanted out. And so I left, 
<laughs> I went into early retirement, which is kind of funny. It Wait, was, how old were you at that time? 20 what? I think 31 or two or something. <laughs> and I didn't really have to keep working. And I had just met Katie. And so I was like, I'm just going to take some time off and, you know, live and do all the stuff I've never done and have freedom. So about six weeks into that, it was crazy. Like I was dying. I, I like, I couldn't, I, ugh, it was the one of the worst feelings ever. Like now, whenever one of my members or clients or friends says they're going to exit a company, I always warn them. Like the, the feeling of momentum is like falling off a cliff, hitting the ground and nothing else happens. Because one day you're like this important person where people are calling, you have all this stuff going on, you have an outcome, you have certainty, you have variety, you have all the human needs. And then the next day- Nobody cares. What happened? Yeah, like legit, nobody cares. And so um, in that time, I got really anxious and bored and um, I didn't feel momentum. And so I went out and um, I, on a whim, bought a house to rehab. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand how to do that. I don't think we really made any money on that first house. I had invested in real estate for a long time, but buy and hold. So I had a small portfolio and I'm like, I'm going to do rehabs. And I had no idea. And so then I went and took some classes and um, within a year, Katie and I were the largest home buyers in South Florida. We were buying the largest single company home buyer. Um, we were way bigger than home investors, which was the huge investor back then. Um, the we buy ugly houses signs, we actually beat them on a monthly basis. And so we would buy or transact on a few properties a week. And we were putting some into investment to hold. We were uh, flipping some of them. We were wholesaling some of them where we never even took possession of them. And I remember this conversation with my mom in the early 2000s. My mom has since passed away, but um, I always honor her with this conversation because she was like, you know, hon, don't you think that you and Katie should diversify a little bit? You're doing a lot in real estate. And I was like, we are diversified. We have condos, houses, townhouses, apartment complexes. Like, yeah. And I was about as self-righteous saying that. And I remember there was this conversation that I had with my mom where she was like, well, hon, what if, what if something happens in real estate? And I said, mom, in order for something to happen in real estate that affects Katie and I in any negative way, real estate values would have to drop more than 30% because our loan to value on our whole portfolio was 30%. And I'm like, values would have to come 30, down 30%. It would be front page news. It would cause an international financial collapse. Like we aren't going anywhere. Flash forward about two and a half years, front page news, international financial collapse, the mortgage crisis is in full tilt. And this was 2007. It wasn't in full tilt yet. It was just starting out. But the ground zero for the mortgage crisis was where we lived and where we owned property. So we owned property in Dade, Palm Beach, and Broward counties, which is kind of South Florida on the East Coast side. And the, the Wall Street Journal started publishing a list of the fastest depreciating zip codes in the United States, and all of our properties were in the top 10. And so, and most of the top 10 properties were in or top 10 zip codes were in South Florida. They were all three, three something. And so, over the course of about a year, we actually about two years, we had Hurricane Katrina and Wilma come through, which are well known for what they did in other parts of the country, but they destroyed South Florida. Over that time period, we have tens of millions of dollars in insurance claims. Like I'm talking dozens of claims for tons of money. In some cases, the claims were higher value than the actual property sitting on the property because there was so much damage and expenses went up and it was just crazy. And then the mortgage crisis hit. And it hit in South Florida first. The vendors pulled, or sorry, the lenders, the lending institutions pulled back in South Florida first. And overnight, 
all the revenue that we had coming in from real estate went away. We had out of our portfolio, we had about half of the properties that were damaged and about a quarter of them were not inhabitable. So we were in this place where as a, as a landlord, you have to fix your property, put somebody in another property, pay for that property, like, you know, make sure that they're still paying the same amount of rent. And we just couldn't. We got to this place where it was like, we can't do all this. We're out of money from, we spent a couple million dollars trying to recover from Katrina and Wilma. 2007 hit, our income dried up. We we had very little savings in the bank and we ended up going bankrupt. And Mindy, it was like, it's still hard to talk about because up until that point, my entire world had been around being financially successful. And I had had some close calls. I definitely had years where things didn't go well. But for the most part, I had made far more than the people my age around me. And and I had millions in equity and, and savings. So I was a millionaire at 30. And, and then at 35, I was worth nothing. Like, and at one point, kind of less than nothing. Like we're talking like- Yeah, negative. Dollars, <laughs> you know, before we declared bankruptcy, here's what's crazy. So I told my mom, you know, in order for, in order for us to be hit, it would have to go down 30%. It would be front page news. Well, our properties on average devalued more than 50%. We had some properties that lost 90% of their value, nine zero. We had four apartments in a, in a complex called Stonebridge Gardens, Florida. It kind of became infamous because when you invest in real estate, one of, the, one of the things that trainers and like real estate advocates say is like, real estate doesn't go away. If you buy a house, it's not going anywhere. We learned that in South Florida, it does go away. We actually had four properties that were condemned. And so we went from having about $400,000 in loans in about $800,000 in property. And each one of these condos was worth somewhere around 160 to 180. And the one of them that would have previously been valued about 175 sold for $15,500. Oh my gosh, Alex, so much of what you're saying is so resonant. <laughs> and, you know, my house where, where I lost my house was in Michigan which was also one of the hardest hit in the whole nation. And while my numbers weren't anywhere close to your numbers, I imagine that the, the feelings were similar, the shame, the guilt, the frustration, the angst, the anger, all, you know, every different feeling comes in, but it does, I guess, put a little in my logical brain. Now hearing that from you, I'm like, whoa, my situation was small fries compared to what these guys went through. Like it was nothing compared to what you guys went through. But it's still your experience, you well, know? That's like, yeah, I mean, that's what I was I just failed so fascinated. in a grandiose way than you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you guys had also built more than I did. So like, then there's a further fall, but that was what was so interesting. I was like, wow, the feelings are the same. They really because I, I felt like, like I had just lost millions of dollars worth of money in real estate. And whatever. even though it wasn't millions, it was hundred thousands. It's interesting, Mindy, that, you know, when I, after going bankrupt, the conversations that I have with people who are in the middle of a failure are totally different and they're so much more connected and it's so much easier for me to relate. Well, that's what I love. I'm like, I can look at any client in the eye and be like, you got this. You know how I know that? Because I've been where you are, (laughs) maybe even worse than where you are. And here's what I have created. Here's what you can create. The same feelings are there. You know, I felt like an absolute failure. 
I felt this insane vulnerability because Reagan had just been born. So I had this tiny little baby that was under a year old and like we were her parents and her models and example in the world. And we like, she was born in the house that we had to give up uh. like at a home birth. And so like we, you know, there's, there was so much like energy there and attachment there. And we had to like rip it all apart and move into this little tiny townhouse. And Mindy, I remember this one day that was so impactful where we had had this process server. So we had dozens of properties in South Florida. And as we went through bankruptcy, all of those properties had to go through the foreclosure process. So even if you're bankrupt, the, the mortgage company still has to conduct a foreclosure and get clear title. And so we were sued by every mortgage company we had, and there was tons. And so I remember the process server, we, would, we lived in a gated community when we first went bankrupt in the house that we owned. And I remember the first time the process server came, the gate called and said, there's a process server on the way. And like from the, the four or five minutes it took him to drive back to our property, my heart was pounding. I was like all sweaty. I, I felt exposed. I like wanted to run away and hide. And I'm like, what is happening? I even know, I mean, I could tell you what the paperwork was going to look like. I'd been in real estate for a while. I'd seen foreclosure paperwork dozens of times, but when it was me, it was like this, this, different feeling. It was, it was like this conviction of like how badly we had failed. And I remember a few weeks later, this process server who was a total sweetheart, she was really nice. And we kind of got to know her because she came to our house so much. I remember she came and I was signing for some documents and Reagan walks in and she's like this tiny little baby um, who had at that point had started talking. She Reagan started talking to like eight and a half months like before she could walk or really crawl. Well, she talked She's a very different child. Um, she would say thank you to people as this tiny little infant and they would drop stuff like more than once people like stopped and startled because she talked and she came into the room and was like, hi, Pam. And I'm like, son of a, my daughter knows the process. She knows this lady. <laughs> like this is part of her childhood, you know, like what, how do I explain to this to her when she's older? It's funny because we talk about it now and, and Reagan does have memories of like the stressful times, which also has positive memories. And here's what happened. We were going through this bankruptcy and I'm certainly not going to say like we figured everything out. Like Mindy, we had some dark days. There was, you know, when we got back from the attorney, the office, and we had made the decision to be bankrupt, I think there was probably like five or six days where Katie and I didn't really talk to each other. And it wasn't that we were avoiding or withholding. It was just that like, I don't think either one of us knew what to say. It's hard. And it sucked. And it feels like, it feels like the rug is pulled out from under you. But like, then if you think about it again, it feels like another rug was pulled out from under you and another rug, and it's like this constant feeling of almost like the rugs are being pulled out so fast, you're just free falling. That's a great description of it. Doesn't it feel that way? And it's like, you can totally. stop yourself for a second and then you're back in this free fall feeling. Exactly. And so I was in that feeling for several days and then a friend of mine reached out. His name's Alan Waxman. And we had known each other pretty well because I was really heavily involved in real estate. And he ran a, real, a really successful real estate office in South Florida. And Alan's like, Alex, how you doing? You know, I haven't talked to you in a while. Tell me what's going on. And I hadn't told anybody what was happening. And from the outside looking in, Katie and I were like some of the most successful investors in South Florida. We were exceptionally well-known in real estate circles. If we went to like a real estate meeting or an REI club or something like that and stood in the back, we would interrupt the meeting because people would be like, look who's here, you know, look who showed up. And Alan called and he was the first person I told. And Mindy, I can remember what I said to him. I like explained everything. I explained Katrina and Wilma and the property damage and not having enough money and like not having any revenue. 
And then I remember I, I phrased it in a very particular way. I said, Alan, you know, we looked at all of our options and realized we didn't have any, so we're going bankrupt. And I paused and I remember there was this like crazy extended pause. And I'm somebody who likes to fill the space in conversations, but I had no clue what to say. And I'm like, why is he waiting? And he just goes, Alex, I present it to you in a different way. I present to you that you had options. You could have pretended like you weren't going bankrupt. You could have run away to Mexico. You could have gone back and lived with your family. You could have run up your credit cards. You could have done a lot of things that we've both seen people do. You've looked at your options. You've reviewed those options. You've selected the best one for you. Now own it and go forward. What are you going to do next? And I remember like after the conversation, like in the beginning, I kind of was looking for a shoulder to cry on. And so yeah. when I dumped all this information on him, he's like, own it and do it now. I'm like, what a jerk. For a split second, I, I like, I felt angry with him. And then I'm like, holy shit, he's so right. There's really no option here. Like we have to figure this out, own it, move forward. And whatever comes next is going to come next, but we're certainly not going to get there by sitting still. And so I got off the phone with Alan, like got my bearings. I remember even like calming down because I wanted to just run up to Katie and tell her what I was saying. But I'm like, calm down. I'm going to go talk to her in a cogent way so that this really works. I went upstairs and I'm like, hey, I just got off the phone with Alan and I replayed the conversation for her. And I said, and then at the end, he said, we need to own this and move forward. And I, I was like, so why don't we make this like the best bankruptcy that law firm's ever seen? I bet if we, you know, they told us it was going to take six weeks. I bet if you and I focus, we can knock this out in like a, a week or two. And so Katie and I went up to Office Depot. We didn't have a ton of money. We bought like six reams of paper, came home and printed everything the bankruptcy attorneys requested. And we ended up filling four, four inch binders and then like a, a half of a legal box as well and did all of it. Like it was, it was so perfect. Our bankruptcy had every bank statement, every receipt, everything we had ever done. And so we called the attorney's office about five or six days later and said, Hey, we're going to bring all this stuff to you. And they're like, are you sure? Like nobody ever finishes this quick. Are you? <laughs> we're like, no, we want to get this over with. Like they had told us our bankruptcy was going to be, you know, so far in advance. And we're like, nah, we're going to pull that date as far, as far as we can. If we're doing this, we're going to do it as fast as we can. So we go in, we took all those boxes to the attorney and we handed them over and they took them out of the room and we're sitting there like, what are they doing? Why are we sitting here by ourselves? Like what's happening? And the attorney comes back in and he's like, who did that? And we're like, we did. How did you do it? Well, over the past five days, we took the list you had. We checked the boxes. We made sure we gave you everything. They're like, nobody ever does this. <laughs> we tell everybody to, but they don't. And so we took that bankruptcy. It got processed. There was definitely some hiccups along the way. There's definitely some challenges along the way. In fact, we got challenged by the trustee. He thought we were trying to hide money. And then once we showed up with all that paperwork, he started like, we're serious. We don't yeah. have, we're like, seriously, <laughs> like if there's hidden money here, can you find it for us? Like, so we let us use, know <laughs> Yeah, like we can show you where every penny went. And so the bankruptcy was processed. And here's what happened as we were going through that experience, I was getting foreclosure paperwork from Pam, the process server. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized the way that people were being treated and the outcome that the banks wanted were so far from the same, that it was a huge issue. And so going through that experience and, and understanding what it felt like to go bankrupt, I started realizing that consumers were going to like bail on their properties and wouldn't know what to do. And there was probably going to be some really bad stuff going on. I actually predicted to Katie, I said, you know, 
the way that these foreclosures are coming across, it looks so dire and so horrible that people are going to like light their houses on fire and walk out of the front door. And I was kidding. I was kind of like, I was saying that metaphorically, like they're going to light the house on fire. That actually started happening like 16. Yeah, I was going to say that's more like prophecy at that time. It, it absolutely. It was crazy, Mindy. It happened in California, Arizona, New York, Florida, all over the place. Like people would pour concrete into the toilets, flush, and then bail on the house or turn on all the water in the house and leave because they were angry or take a hammer and put holes in every drywall. Like it happened over and over again. And so Katie and I put together a program called the Certified Distressed Property Expert Designation. I feel so weird to talk about because we were selling this thing as we were going through bankruptcy. (laughs) Right. You know, Mindy, I have this belief that if you are sharing something in a way where there's an incongruency below it, energetically, people aren't going to hear you in the right way. I totally agree. And so from day one, I took like a deep breath and started sharing the bankruptcy story. Like as we were going through it, I'm like, look, we just got taken out by this and here's what's happening and here's how it's working. And it's so weird because the first time I shared that in public, like I, I was so much sweatier than that day that Pam was driving to our home. I was like, I think I sweat through the suit I was wearing because I was so nervous to expose myself this way. And at the end of the presentation, a guy walks up to me. And he's like, hey, I'm really close with Howard Brinton, who runs Star Power. I'd like to introduce you to him. Then I got introduced to this, this icon of a guy named Howard Brinton, who became one of my mentors and like helped us get the product out there. He connected us with Remax. The way he connected us with Remax is I've got this kid who was, you know, I've got this speaker who created a product because he was taken out of the market by bankruptcy. And now he's going to help other people not do it. And so the fact that I was transparent from the beginning became the sale. Yeah. Who better to talk about it, right? Yeah, the person it who has crazy. gone through it. But I did not see that at the beginning. I, I mean, I would love to tell you that I was like, oh, I knew that if I put myself out there, everybody would, it didn't feel that way. It actually felt like if I put myself out there, there's going to be a lot of people who don't listen to me. And there was, there was a few, there was actually a few who were like, we know you're bankrupt. We saw your bankruptcy papers. I'm like, it's in every speech I give. You're like, yes, I am not hiding that. <laughs> if you're trying to expose me, you're a little late. I've already done it. I've done it. it. <laughs> yeah. And so, so what ended up happening was, we went bankrupt in 2007. It was, so you, you declare bankruptcy and then it's discharged. And so it was discharged in early 2008. We introduced the certified distressed property expert designation at the end of 2007. So we did like $100,000 in sales in, two, in seven right after bankruptcy. We did a half million in eight. We did 7 million in nine. We did about 9 million in 10 and 11 million in 12, or sorry, in 11. And then it went up to like 13 or 14 million. And you can see in the background here, this is 2011, 12 and 13, the Inc 500 list. We were actually in 2010, which is the 11 list. We um, were the 21st fastest growing company in the United States. And so we got all kinds of special accolade from Inc because we shared with them that we were bankrupt. So we showed them we were bankrupt. And then in the first year of business eligibility, we were number 21 fastest growing. And so there was a lot of attention and a lot of, a lot of stuff around that. And the, the intense part was that by, from the time our bankruptcy was discharged, we were liquid millionaires within 12 months. That's amazing, and, Alex. It was intense, Mindy. It was intense. It was like, it was one of the most energizing and terrifying and vulnerable times of my life. And I look back at it now and, you know, my mom always used to have this saying, everything happens for a reason. It's up to us to find the reason. 
And when I was going through bankruptcy, I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. There is no reason for this. This is horrible. All of this sucks, you know, that first dark period. And now in retrospect, Katie and I have amassed an amount of wealth that I don't think every, either one of us ever thought that we would achieve, or maybe we did, but like kind of in one of those, like, wouldn't it be really cool? But now we're actually there. You know, we own almost everything in our life outright. The one thing that we have a small mortgage on right now is a, a large piece of land that we just bought that we're going to be building on. And so, you know, we have we have cash, we have crypto, we have real estate, we have investments, we have stocks, we have emergency funds, our emergency funds have emergency funds. And so like that whole infrastructure of wealth with asset protection strategies and cash flow strategies and all kinds of stuff, I really believe was built out of the chaos of bankruptcy. Because we came out of that and it was like, okay, well, this is never, ever, ever happening again. So what do you do to make it so this never happens again? <laughs> when we were in bankruptcy, I bought like a 1980 or 1994 Ford Ranger because it was like what we could afford and it had a dent on every body panel. And we were so committed to never doing it again that like two years later, we had over a million dollars in the bank. Our company was making several hundred thousand dollars a month. We were doing exceptionally well. Katie you went- driving that car? <laughs> yeah, I was driving. I'm like, I'm going to drive this car until it stops running. I don't need a car. You know, like I, I've been bankrupt. Cars do not have a lot of meaning to, the, to me at that point. Then Katie drove my truck and she came home and she's like, okay. <laughs> we're done he's <laughs> like it doesn't stop it fishtails i'm like well i'm used to all of that she's like no 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 no. you're getting a new car and so we i finally ended up buying a new I, I got a new truck but but like that experience of bankruptcy the feeling of vulnerability the feeling of like free falling all that created really who we are financially today and today, when I talk to people about finances, when we coach around net worth, when we talk about budgeting, when we talk about how you eliminate issues in your relationship through talking about this first, it comes from a place of 100% personal experience. And so when I look back at that time, you know, it's funny. I'm, I recently worked with a coach named Kylie Ryan for this 90-day program that she has, which is an energetic clearing process. And in that process, so many times, I was able to kind of elevate up to the 50,000 foot view of the timeline of my life. And I look back and I'm 48 now. And I feel like everything that's happened to me has prepared me for where I am right now. And had I not had that bankruptcy, and then we started making the kind of money that we now make and have made and have the kind of assets that we now make and have made, who knows what would have happened? May, you know, I think sometimes when you have bad habits and challenges in your life and you get a whole bunch of leverage in the form of money or a team or people helping you or any of those things, it just makes everything worse. And I'm pretty sure that had we not gone through that experience, we would have struggled to have sound financial habits and to pay attention to the right things because I was so focused on making money. I'm like, just throw it in the box and it'll, you know, it'll do whatever it needs to do. And so now I'm way more focused on creating financial stability, creating longevity, creating permanence in our finances. And that came out of that massive level of insecurity. Alex, you are speaking my language. I love that so much because what I what I call what you just described, where like all the pieces are essential, everything comes together to culminate to an ultimate purpose. I call that heart path. Your yeah. heart has always guided you on that path the whole time, even through the shittiest parts, even through the hardest parts. All of those things are essential. All of those things are necessary to create what you have become today. So I love that so much. Here's what I want to know. 
based on all of the ups, downs, in-betweens, everywhere that you've been with money. I wanna know how you think about money and most specifically, how do you personally define wealth? Like, what does that mean to you? How do you think about money? Yeah, um, so how do I think about money? Oh man, I have like this very emotional connection to money, which is weird, weird, Mindy. Well, so, let's dig in. I want to know about that. That's awesome. So, um, I'm one of those people that that does research that no one else understands why it's necessary, but I just get like these crazy ideas, like, oh, I need to understand this thing, and so I do like crazy deep dive research on things that most other people really don't care about. I'm, I'm like odd enough that if I'm around, like, for example, if I'm around a group of functional medicine doctors and we start talking about hydration and the effect on the body and how water affects people, like I've done such a deep dive on water that if I'm a bit, this has actually happened. I've been at a functional medicine conference, talking to a group of functional medicine doctors, talking about hydration, giving them tips on how to like, this is what you should tell your clients. And these are why the questions are wrong. And this is how you can do it better. And then when they find out I'm not a, a functional medicine doctor, they're like, what the hell? Who are they're you? like, how do you know all this? <laughs> right, right. And why did you just lead the dialogue back there? Well, <laughs> I kind of did a similar deep dive on, on money, but on commerce. I'm like, so how did this really start? Like, if I'm going to be part of this business world, how did this start? And when you go back to the very early, early days of business, the first recorded information on business in the Middle East, there was this merchant who decided to go to another place to sell his stuff. And it became this barter system and trade system. And so like the earliest, like, oh man, I like, I get chills thinking about that person. Like how brave to get up and say, I'm going to go over there and make this better. I'm going to go over there and trade. I'm going to go over there and like work with other people and cooperate and make something happen. And so oh, I get like so excited about it. And, you know, there's this, there's this belief system in the world that drives me crazy that money is the root of all evil. Oh, even when I say it, it repels me because it's the most ignorant way to look at this thing we call fiat currency. Because when you look at the history of humanity, if I wanted something from you, Mindy, or anybody else outside of modern day fiat currency, I had to go hurt you. I had to take it from you. I had to conduct a fight to make sure that I got what I wanted and you didn't have it anymore. And so when people say money is the root of all evil, it's such a confused, ridiculous way to look at things because maybe, maybe the obsession of money may create some evil thoughts. But the fact is that if you look at society as it is today, money saved us. Money has not just saved us, but it's connected us in this extraordinary way where you as an expert can create all of this knowledge and expertise and application and momentum for people. And all I have to do is transfer you money and you can give that to me. And so what is more human than taking who you are and what you are and sharing it with somebody else in a way that advances them? And so to me, money saved humanity and money has evolved humanity since it was present. And you can totally look at the other side of that coin and make the other argument, but why? Why? Any mechanism out there can be used positively and negatively. Why don't we just focus on the positive? Why don't we focus on the fact that today with this crazy thing called Bitcoin, I can send money to somebody in the middle of a desert in Azerbaijan to do copywriting for me and he can work for me in the United States. And so like the more money evolves, the more we can connect as human beings and help each other and advance each other's causes. And of course there's going to be negative fallout there is with anything human, but I look at it in that way. Like, 
like money is the mechanism through which we express, share, and exchange our humanity. I absolutely love that. Why exactly? Why look at all the negative stuff that's going to be there? And to your point about we don't have to kill each other, we don't have to harm each other, and also we don't have to trade like chickens or cattle. Right. <laughs> you know, like I could just send money through the internet. <laughs> it's so much easier. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. So, Alex, this has been awesome. I, I wish we had like 14 more hours to talk about money and just the all of the amazingness that it it brings. But here's what I want to know: You have an amazing program, and so many cool things going on. And if our listener has been inspired by what you've said today, which I imagine they are, they're probably like, who is this guy? I want to know more. Where would you like them to go? You know, Mindy, the best place to get familiar with me is our podcast, just like your podcast is great for you. Um, we have a podcast called Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type. And you can go to MomentumPodcast.com to check it out. You know, what we do as a company is we help entrepreneurs with process, structure, and routine to get predictable, consistent results in your life, your relationships, and really primarily in your business. But we're a holistic organization. I, For a lot of my life, I've helped entrepreneurs grow their businesses without paying attention to their relationships or their lives. And what I saw over and over again is that success in business without attention to your relationship in your life causes a lack of success in business. And so we focus on those three areas and the podcast has, depending on the episode, it's going to be process structure and routine or some type of solution for making sure that you continue forward momentum and that your business grows and that your life grows and that your relationships grow. And I'm one of those crazy coaches that I believe you can have it all. I actually have a, a plaque right there that says you can win them all. And I look at it every day when I walk in. It's what I gave the groomsmen in my wedding. Now, some people give flasks and other people give like something cute. I gave a plaque that says you can win them all. And I wanted all of them to remember it because I think as entrepreneurs, we set ourselves up for failure by saying, oh, I can only do this thing and I'm going to sacrifice everywhere else. We're entrepreneurs. We are the tiny, tiny percentage of the population that makes our own rules. Why would you set up a game you're going to lose? And so, <laughs> right? And so the Momentum Podcast will help you understand how to advance your cause as an entrepreneur. And I think that's the best place. That is awesome. And I'll just put in a plug for that very podcast as well. There are hundreds and hundreds of episodes. They're always entertaining, informative, and also they're quite short most of the time. So yeah. like I said, totally plug that. Go check it out. Momentum podcast. Alex, this has been awesome. And more importantly, you are awesome. I adore our friendship and I just am so grateful that you were here today. Thank you so, so much. Oh, Mindy, it's my absolute pleasure. That was fun. When it comes to game-changing entrepreneurs out there, Mindy, I've always known that you're one of them. And I'm so glad that we have the proximity that we do and the friendship that we do. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes, and please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources, or to become a member of The Lucrative Society, where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being. <laughs>